attention that white people in America have just begun to discover that black people live in it too. Oh look, there are black people here, had no idea. Had no idea they had ideas and opinions and engaged in communal activities. Wow, I hadn't noticed them before. I'm seeing all these people on social media being so giving and helping out their heretofore clueless white friends by recommending reading material about what it's like to have lived in America as a black person for four centuries. National Public Radio aired a segment yesterday about bird watching, and they were positively brimming with pride that they'd gone out and found a black bird watcher. Oh, black people enjoy bird watching too. We had no idea. How novel. How quaint. <laughs> What's unique about bird watching in the black community? Apparently, it takes thousands of people out in the street willing to get their skulls cracked by violent criminals in uniform for white America to finally wake up from its long slumber. It's utterly comical to me that we have our heads this far up our asses. Speaking of comedy, 60 years ago, comedian Lenny Bruce was shedding light on this. If you've never heard of Lenny Bruce, I'm going to introduce you to him right now. I was reared on Lenny Bruce. It's one of the key components of my education. He was offering commentary on counterculture and racism in America well before it was common, well before it was accepted. He made that road by walking it and suffered and probably died for it. He was vilified for telling the truth in the 1950s and 1960s, but his legacy allowed others to take up that mantle. I'm about to play a bit he did in 1962. He'll introduce it so I don't need to. But if this is your introduction to Leonard Alfred Schneider, aka Lenny Bruce, enjoy. Eric Miller, I have known for four years. Eric Miller and I were on the road together. Eric Miller is a jazz guitarist. Eric Miller is an intellect. Eric Miller has good taste, because it's my good taste. Maybe not your good taste. Date, there's another switch a bit. But I dig Eric Miller. Eric and I work together in Miami. He sang, and I talk. Then I say, Eric, want to do a bit with me? Well, that's not my stick talking, but okay. We'll do a bit, and we'll ad-lib it, and fool around with it. And we did a bit, and then the bit found form. And it got flaps. We're at the party now. And Eric being colored, he would be a musician. There are very few integrated parties, which does not make the people who do not have colored people at the parties bigoted. Because you don't know colored people to invite them as props as Crow Jim. <laughs> now, parties and swing, and the humor comes from the now becoming obscure white person's concept of how do you relax colored people at parties? And in the bit, I play the white guy. <laughs> oh, and how a party Yes, I'm enjoying myself. I'm pissed at ears, I tell you. <laughs> oh, boy, how you like a pig? Oh, I had a wonderful time. Oh, I really stumped myself. Oh, boy, I tell you. I didn't get your name. Miller. Miller, my name is Mr. Anderson. Anderson? Glad to know you. Pleasure indeed, sir. Mm -hmm. Pleasure indeed. <laughs> you know that Joe Lewis was a hell of a fighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say that again, Joe. Lewis was a hell of a fighter. Credit to your race. Don't you forget it, you son of a gun. Well, thank you very much. That's perfect. All right. Uh, here's the Bojangles. Yeah, here's the Bojangles. <laughs> I used to watch him on the television all the time, eh? Uh -huh. uh, them show people are all right. Um, I guess you know a lot of people in the show business, huh? Yeah, quite a few in my travels. 
Uh, what the hell is that? I'm bad on names. Uh, Aunt Jemima. No, no, I don't know Aunt Jemima. Uh, what the hell is that guy? Uh, you know that guy in a cream of wheat box? <laughs> no, I don't know him on the cream of wheat box. Oh, well. Uh, here's the step and fetcher. Yeah, here's the step and fetcher. He ruined himself, though. Coca-Cola and white women did it to him. Yeah. Bobby had a good career. You know, uh, I did all the construction here. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did all the paint. And these heaps. You're not Jewish, are you? No. Uh, no offense, you know what I mean? Someone call me a heap, I'll knock him right in the rear. As long as you understand, you know. I mean, what the, I mean, uh, I don't know how you feel about them integrating stuff. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't care what the hell a guy is, as long as he keeps in his place. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's how I feel about it. Here's to uh, all the colored people. <laughs> anyway, I start in here, and these mocks are Jewish people now. They say to me, "Wait a minute." So he says, "Look, darling, what you going to do, darling?" You're going to put the paint up here. But you guys Chinese, I do all that stuff too. Uh, anyway, uh, look at this color he picked up. Is that ridiculous? No, I don't think so. I think that's very interesting how they use the Doofy Blue with so many other pastels. That sounds like a lot of commie horseshit to me. <laughs> doofy Blue. Yeah, the Doofy Blue. Is that what they call it? You're all right. You're a white Jew, you son of a gun. I like it. You're okay. You know, I just realized something. What's that? I'm integrating and touching you, for Christ's sake. <laughs> See that? If I didn't touch you, you're all right. You're all right. You're all right, you son of a gun. You're okay. Thank you. I like you. You're all right. Listen, did you get anything to eat yet? No, I'm kind of hungry. I wish I had a sandwich or something. Oh, boy. You know, you gotta, you got to eat before you drink. I would take a teaspoon of olive oil, you know? <laughs> That's what you do. And then you can drink all night. I'm really getting pissed, I'm telling you, buddy. Well, look. As long as you drink this stuff, you stay away from drugs. That's right. Look. You know what? I'm gonna get you something to eat. I don't know if there's any fried chicken here, uh, watermelon, but, uh... I'll get something you like. And I'll get him a lot of for you. I'll get you all the watermelons in the world. Because <laughs> I love you, that's right. I'll get you all the watermelons and the fried chicken in the world. Well, sing a song about the fried chickens and the watermelon in the world. Mmm, we'll get you all the fried chicken and the watermelon in the world. All the watermelon in the world. All the watermelon in the world. Here's to Paul Robeson. <laughs> you know, I'd like to have you over the house. Well, thank you. I'd like to come over. Do you like that? It'll be dark soon. Uh... <laughs> oh. I'd have you over the house. Look, you can come over my house if you promise you don't do it to my sister. Look, you don't want no heat plowing your sister. And I don't want no coon doing it to my sister. That's all. You can understand that, can you? It doesn't make any difference to me, just as long as he's a nice Come on, what do you want, a weed or something? All right? 
Okay. Okay. Here's to the Mau Maus. Running through the trenches, running through the trenches, running through the trenches, it's the bad do. I know I'm supposed to be positive and I'm supposed to be uplifted by all of the dialogue that's happening around this country. How people who have never discussed racism, never discussed the true history of America, never discussed all the gaps in our education, never discussed things like white privilege, are starting to discuss them of their own volition. I know I'm supposed to be happy about that. But this episode obviously is tinged with sarcasm because I'm feeling sardonic, because I'm still feeling kind of bitter. Especially when I watch out-of-control police beating the living shit out of people who are protesting peacefully. And I am so sick of the arguments of the quote-unquote other side about what counts as a peaceful protest and what free speech really should look like in this country. And that anyone at this point could defend the actions of the President of the United States using tear gas to disperse a peacefully protesting crowd, to take a walk across the street to hold a Bible upside down in front of a church. It's It just speaks to a yawning gap in our ability to communicate. I mean, the simple truth is, the same people who are defending him have exactly the same basic pressing needs that you and I have. A living wage, health care that's affordable, a leadership that's willing to support and look out for the interests of regular people instead of a tiny elite minority of very, very, very rich people. A government that has an entirely left and entirely right knuckled under and allowed for the greatest transfer of wealth from the underclass to the upper class in the history of this country without a whimper, without one iota of dissent. I simply don't understand that people can't see that a bailout of private equity firms and people who chase after you when you're late on your rent is an essential component of an economic bailout in this country. I just, I cannot get myself to understand that one. I'm not sure that anyone can explain it to me. And so therefore, I'm just as rigid on this. I'm just as dunderheaded. I just don't see it. What I do see is a lot of people, a lot of people, most people, who have the same basic needs, basic interests in mind that are being driven apart by a complicit media who works entirely for the super rich and elite. And the fact that that isn't seen, that that hasn't been laid bare yet, that's the part that gets me the most. It just seems so obvious. So if you felt like this episode, short as it was, is too mired in pessimism, is too mired in dark comedy, I'm sorry, but it's where my mood is right now. A supporter of the protesters and someone who has been out on the streets themselves wrote this to me. I'm arguing with my coworkers because their perspective is, quote, well, white supremacy is maybe bad, but it's not illegal. They were peacefully protesting. And the they, of course, refers to the anti-quarantine rallies where people came out with their weapons en masse. That, too, is an expression of First Amendment rights, these people say, and accuse this person of not listening to their side. And the way that argument is built and the way that argument is maintained and the way that contingent of people are groomed 
is by the very, very effective, very nifty trick of getting them to blame your problems on other people who don't have any power so they can distract you and make sure you don't blame them. Trump supporters are very quick to blame immigrants for stealing their jobs, but never think to blame the employers, the corporate leaders, the corporate giants for taking advantage of undocumented workers and paying them low wages, and that this forces people who are looking for a living wage, a stable wage, out of the job market, or by simply shifting jobs overseas. This seems like a very, very simple thing that you could explain to people so, they would, so that they could see the hypocrisy and the absolute gaping hole in their argument. And yet, it does not happen. That's a fundamental disconnect that I don't know how to fix. And so I remain pessimistic as I watch people defend police as they crack skulls of people who are unarmed, peacefully protesting, angry, but not violent. So I know I'm supposed to be all thrilled that these conversations are being had now in public forums, that people are discussing racism on Facebook and on text threads, and it's a conversation that's on CNN every night. I know I'm supposed to be thrilled by that, but I'm not. The main message is still missed. The simple, obvious truth is still obfuscated. And that's, I think, what was at the heart of Lenny Bruce's message and why they had to take him down so hard. And he fought, he fought to the death. He really did, literally to the death. And they killed him. I mean, yes, you could make the argument that Lenny just wanted to get high and get a blowjob, but he was also interested in telling the truth. Something compelled him to tell the truth. I remember listening to Lenny when I was a kid on these weird translucent red vinyl records my father still had from the 1950s. And you can find Lenny's bits now on this compendium called Let the Buyer Beware. It came out about 15 years ago. So thank you for listening to this episode of What We Will Abide, which is number 65. You can find older episodes of this podcast at shows.acast, that's A-C-A-S-T dot com slash What We Will Abide, and on the What We Will Abide Facebook page. Also, my wife, author Jamie Beth Cohen, and I tell our summer camp stories on an upcoming episode of the hilarious Campfires and Color Wars podcast, which is hosted by Micah Hart. Music you heard in this episode was Freddie Hubbard and De La Soul, and I'd like to thank Hallie Richardson and Audrey Salmons for being themselves. I couldn't make it without them.